And with that, I'm going to go right into our, I don't know if you call this a sermon, our little homily. Um, but as I was working uh, this week, I was out in the yard, I was thinking about an old friend of mine, and it's a friend of mine that I think I've told you all about before, I think maybe even on our first Zoom webinar. And she's a German nurse named Krista. And Krista's worked with various medical nonprofits, um, mostly in East Africa and mainly in Somaliland, which is like the, the northern portion of Somalia. And so she spent most of her adult life living as a single woman in this war-ravaged area. And she has a phrase that she lives by, and that's, there is always hope. And so when I was working with her and I would feel discouraged by just the different injustices that I was seeing, I would be like, Krista, how do you keep doing what you do and doing it for so long? And I can just see her, she'd get this big smile on her face and she would say it in her, she had the sing-songy German accent and she'd say, oh, Emily, there is always hope. And so whenever things would start to go wrong, you know, I think I had told you guys, like we got robbed, we had some different things happening. And so Krista and I would look at each other and we would say, there's always hope, there is always hope. And so I sort of absorbed that into my spirit and I made it one of my like life phrases that I live by. If you look at like my Facebook bio, I have two phrases, there is always hope and love always wins. And so I was thinking about Krista this week and how her hope has seen her just through a lot of tough situations over the long haul. And it reminded me of a little story that's tucked away in 1 Kings chapter 19 that I thought we might find encouraging. And that story goes like this. So a long time ago, there was a prophet named Elijah. And he was a prophet who trained to be a prophet by roaming through the wilderness listening to God's voice and allowing God to provide food and water and shelter for him. And so one day at God's direction, Elijah got himself into a little bit of trouble with the local king and queen. And he got himself into trouble by admonishing them for making trouble for Israel. And I thought, well, we know a little something about leaders making trouble for their people, don't we? And so Jezebel, the queen, she sent a messenger to Elijah to deliver a threat to him. And she said, may the gods deal with me severely if by this time tomorrow I haven't yet killed you. So Elijah was understandably afraid and he ran for his life. And he went back into the desert wilderness by himself and he came upon a broom tree and he sat down under it, a broom bush. And he laid down under it and he prayed that he could die. He just said, I've, got, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. And then he lay under that broom bush and he fell asleep. And then we're told that an angel came and touched him and woke him up and said, get up and eat. And so Elijah looked around, he's kind of groggy, and he sees some bread that's baking on the coals and he sees a jar of water. And Elijah got up and he ate the bread and he drank the water. And strengthened by that food, he then laid down and went back to sleep. <laughs> And so the angel came back to him again and woke him up and said, get up and eat for this journey is too much for you. And so Elijah got up again and he ate the bread and he drank the water and then strengthened by that food. This time he didn't go back to sleep. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached a mountain called Horeb. And he went into a cave there and he spent the night. And it's from that cave that God then again, again came to him in a still small voice and he spoke like a strategy of survival to him. And so I was kind of thinking about this story 
um, well, I was digging up a bunch of stumps in our backyard, so it was pretty hard work. And I'm back there digging up the stumps and I'm thinking about Elijah. And I'm thinking about my friend Krista saying, oh, Emily, there is always hope. And so I went back to that story about Elijah and I read it. And I found myself feeling really moved by the compassion that God had for Elijah. And I thought, he's just this one guy criticizing an unjust ruler. And yet God like saw his weariness and he saw his, um, his despair and he sent messengers. Angels mean messengers with food and water. And so that started to give me hope that God has this kind of compassion for me and for you. And I thought, well, you know, Elijah was allowed to rest at a time when he was feeling exhausted and he had limited resources and he was feeling alone and unsafe. And he was alone and he was unsafe. And in that space, God met him. And God didn't come and just take away all of the issues. He didn't give Elijah like a big mansion or a gold-plated chariot, you know, with like spinner wheels, which would be really cool. You know, the king and queen were still after him, but God gave Elijah enough for the journey, right? It was enough food. It was enough rest. It was enough safety and it was enough hope. And hope is what he really needed to keep him going because his journey wasn't over yet. He was just in the middle of it, maybe even near the beginning. And it's hope that kept him going. So I don't know about you, but I feel like I can relate a little bit to Elijah right now. I think he had it a lot worse than most of us, but we're in this time of uncertainty where we're not feeling safe and where our leaders are making trouble for us. And we're sequestered in our homes, many of us. Some are feeling lonely and there's a lot of unpredictability. And like Elijah, I don't think we're near the end of our run. And I think we can use a little bit of hope, some injections of it, for running what feels like it's almost a marathon. And so I emailed some friends this week or, who are runners because I know it's probably not a shock. I am not a long distance runner. Ken was, <laughs> I am not. I'll play tennis, I'll bike, but uh, I, I have a lot of respect for people who run long distances. So I emailed them and I just started asking them some questions about what helps them keep going. Like what gives them hope in the middle of a race and what sustains them. And every runner has their own game plan. But I also saw some helpful ideas that I saw reflected in this Elijah story. So one person said that he breaks a really long run down into like manageable sections. And then he focuses like just on the section at hand. I think that was Steve Watson at the, um, the Boston Blue Ocean Church Reservoir. And I was thinking, you know, Elijah ran for his life. And he had just a couple of days for rest and recovery. And then he had to run another 40 days and 40 nights spend the night in a cave. Like, you know, I'm over 40. Spending the night in a cave doesn't sound that great right now. And then he had to re-engage with people. And I thought, you know, if he had known the entire arc of his journey from the start, he might not have been able to quite keep going. But it was like he had just what he needed for that next leg of the journey. And so in thinking about some of my own coping strategies for this pandemic long haul, um, I tend to be a big picture person. But I've been thinking about how it's helpful at times to think about like one day at a time or to think about just the week at hand, like one step because there are just too many unknowns. And so it helps me if I can think about breaking this pandemic response down into these manageable sections and then I can ask God for enough for the next section. And every runner told me that they, they focus on nature or they're really focused on being present in their bodies. Like it seems like there's a meditative 
rhythm to running that sort of attunes people to their senses. Um, we're told that Elijah came to that broom bush when he rested. And so I Googled broom bushes because I was like, what is that? And it's actually, it's a really beautiful, fairly large flowering shrub. And I thought, you know, there was really attention paid to that detail about where he laid down. And I think sometimes we need to pay attention to the natural beauty and what our bodies feel like in relation to nature to help us recuperate. Right? There was a, a seminary professor who passed away this week and I, I know some of his students and they were online and they were remembering him. And the, the thing that so many of them said that they remembered uh, the most that he said was this. They said, you know, I remember he would say, if I had to go back and do everything again, I would sit my young self down, especially my young pastor self, because he was a pastor, and I would watch the grass grow more often. Like, just be. Just be in nature. Pay attention to how it makes your senses feel. Be focused and meditative and slow down. And there's something about paying attention to our senses and tending them that I think can help us persevere. Um, I came across this this quote this week, actually I was reading some Brene Brown. I know Liz Dyer also likes Brene. And she was talking about how there's a tribe in Indonesia, the Asaro tribe, and they've got this saying that is knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle. Knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle. In other words, we can like know what we know or think we know what we know but until our bodies get the information, it's not that helpful. And so I notice that attention was given to the facts that like Elijah ate bread and drank water, right? So it was like hope in a tangible form that he took into his body. And I think that's part of the reason that we do communion together every week, right? It's one thing to like understand hope in our minds and to hear a story, but it's another to actually take it into our bodies. And it helps our bodies understand the story and the hope in a different way. And then every runner, except one of them, said that the middle was the hardest part of the race. One person said just getting going is the hardest. But the middle seems to be kind of a drudgery. And so two of the marathoners that I heard from said that, you know, like the beginning of the very last quarter of the run is the hardest part for them, right? It's the time when your body is completely exhausted, but the end isn't close enough yet to like, like help you see through. And this seems like the part to me where Elijah collapsed and just wanted to die, right? And so maintaining hope in that middle section of the race um, is like really crucial to keep runners going. It's that hope that like this too shall pass, I can get through this. And like with Elijah, God wants to provide us with those nuggets of hope that can help see us through. And so one of my friends wrote this lovely story that I thought might be encouraging for us that I'll leave you with. Um, She's part of our congregation. She was running the Chicago Marathon a few years back. And she said this, I'll read what you, she wrote. She said, I was around the dreaded 20th mile and I passed a runner wearing a pace bib for the three hours and 20 minute marathon pace, right? So that was like the pace they were trying to get done with the marathon in three hours and 20 minutes. But in front of it, he had written Ephesians. So I ran up by him and I asked him what Ephesians 3.20 said. And the poor man was clearly out of breath, but he managed to stammer out the verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, 
according to his power that is at work within us. Right? And she said tears streamed down her face as she heard that encouraging word, like it was just, just enough to keep going. She said she forgot how tired her legs were, and she practically flew to the finish line. She said, I have no idea how that guy finished, but my finish time was 318. So I decided to look up Ephesians 318 for fun. And it says, may you have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And it had been a particularly discouraging day early on for various reasons. But at that moment, I felt the warmth of Christ's love pouring into my heart. And so I read that story and I thought, you know, it really is just like Elijah getting rest and food and water, like just at the moment when he really needed it, right? At that time when it allowed him to pick up and carry on and he knew that God was caring for him. So I wanted to just encourage us to keep our eyes open for some of these little encouragements from God as we're pacing ourselves in the coming months that we can see these little hopes or injections of hope that are coming for us. And as we do, let's remember there is always hope there's enough to sustain us. God is with us, caring for us, and we shouldn't forget to watch the grass grow. So with that, let's do a little bit of um, a time of quiet meditation as we place ourselves in a scene. I would invite you to place yourself in a place in nature that feels really comfortable to you. Maybe it's in your yard or a park or a place that's special to you when you go camping. And as you do that, I would invite you to pay attention to your senses in your mind's eye. Pay attention to like what the weather is like and what smells are in the air and what your body is feeling. And let's just take a few moments to do that. And as you're sitting there, you can imagine Jesus, or you can imagine God, however you think of God, coming up beside you and sitting down. And just sit there, relaxing together. And now we hear God say to us, I see you. I have what you need. There's always hope. I'm right here with you. And I would invite you this week, if you find a moment, I know today and tomorrow are going to be beautiful in Michigan, if you're in Michigan, to find a place outside if you're able, and maybe find that place in your mind's eye where you're imagining God sitting with you and just telling you, I see you, I have what you need, 
and make that space to be able to maybe express what you think you might need, even if that's just a little injection of hope for this next leg. All right, now let's invite Liz, who's going to give us our Mama Bear Minute. Uh, good morning, thank you, Emily. Uh, that was great. <laughs> uh, good morning, Mama Bears. It's great to be with you again this morning. I hope you had a good week. I hope you're doing well. Just a quick word about prayer this morning. Um, I know that prayer can be a difficult subject for many of us who have what I call religious baggage. Uh, I went through my own process several years ago trying to figure out what I thought about prayer, what I believed about it, um, asking questions like, how does it work? I can't say I came out of that process with a lot of definitive answers, but I did come away with the decision that I was going to be a prayer that I was gonna make prayer a priority in my life because I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm trying to do what Jesus did. And Jesus prayed, he prayed passionately, he prayed specifically, he prayed like his prayers mattered and he uh, made prayer a priority. So I pray uh, daily, most days I pray many times. I don't have a real schedule or structure that I follow. I pray different ways at different times, uh, but prayer is important to me and it's very comforting to me. It makes me feel um, connected to God and to others. Um, and I believe that my prayers matter. I believe that God's listening and that she cares and um, that she hears me. And so I find that very comforting. I like what Anne Lamott says about prayer. She says that the two best prayers or help me, help me, help me, and thank you, thank you, thank you. And I can really relate to that. I pray a lot of prayers like that, and I'm sure many of you do too. Uh, but I know for many of you, any kind of traditional praying is difficult. So this morning, I just wanted to throw out the idea that you could let prayer out of the box, kind of the way you might let God out of the box, and let it be more. Um, something that you didn't ever imagine it to be. First uh, Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. And I think the only way we can do that is to let prayer be more than just words that we're saying to God. Let it be um, things that we're doing and things that we're experiencing. I saw something online this week that kind of goes along with that thought. I don't know the author. So if you know the author, please shoot me a message and let me know. But uh, here's what it said. Prayer doesn't just happen when we kneel or put hands together and focus and expect things from God. Instead, thinking positive and wishing good for others, that's a prayer. When you hug a friend, you've said a prayer for them. When you cook something to nourish family and friends, that's a prayer. When we send off our near and dear ones and say, drive safely or be safe, we've said a prayer. When you're helping someone in need by giving your time and resources and energy, you've said a prayer for them. When you forgive someone with your heart, that's praying. Prayer is a vibration, a feeling, a thought, an action, a way of living. Prayer is the voice of love and hope, friendship, genuine connections and relationships. So this week, I just encourage you to pray in whatever form uh, works for you and find comfort in it and uh, pray as if your prayers matter and know that God is listening and that she cares. 
Stay safe, wash your hands, love one another, and remember you're not alone.